Hello, and welcome to Friday Night Rewrites, a podcast in which my husband and I spend our date nights talking about how we'd fix shows that we love. I'm Hannah. I'm Andrew. And this is the stories we'd love to tell. All right, Andrew, give us the rundown. What's this podcast all about? Well, uh, the main thing is like we hate art. We think books and movies are bad. Uh, we want to fix them and make them better. Um, Wait, what? <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, we really enjoy watching shows and movies and uh, reading books and stuff. Uh, but it, every once in a while we come across one where it's like it's almost great or almost really good, but uh, just stumbles in a few key areas. And we want to offer our help. Um, maybe to future uh, producers and writers' rooms about uh, some of the pitfalls to avoid. Uh, some ways, if I know reboots are really big, if you're going to reboot uh, Merlin or God's Not Dead or, uh, you know... The Hobbit. The Hobbit, <laughs> yes. Uh, or like Ozark or something. Like, uh, you might want to pay attention to what we say because, like, we're, we're going to help you make it really good. Um, even great um, but it it comes from a place of love and not of nitpicking or um, kind of ugly Gamergate nerd culture um, we, we like these shows we want them to be better um, and um, so today we're tackling Merlin which was a BBC show in 2005 I think uh, Hannah's going to give us a quick summary. Um. Alright, so, in a fantasy world that looks essentially like every other fantasy world, let's be honest, a young wizard fights to contain his powers and fulfill his destiny to restore magic to its legal and respected status. He serves noble prince Arthur, heard of him, who is acclaimed for his battle prowess and burgeoning strategy skills, but is apparently completely incapable of noticing that his personal servant is an actual wizard. King Uther rules the land with an iron fist, fed mainly by paranoia, regarding those who can perform magic in a strict adherence to tradition. Uther has his heir and son, who he holds to a brutal standard, and then his ward, Morgana, who he dotes on and indulges. <gasps> Spoiler! Not his ward, actually his illegitimate daughter. Like, what? Q gasps. <sighs> and by the way, I should say uh, there, there will be spoilers we've watched the whole show we're going to talk about the whole show so. it's all going down right uh, here sorry right now if you were really invested in morgana being a ward and not not a daughter um she's she says morgana is attended by the lovely but decidedly lower class guinevere who steals arthur's heart with her charming combination of integrity and really great hair Merlin gets more and more powerful as he learns from his mentor and protector Gaius, who's the crown doctor. And Merlin attempts to rescue or defeat basically every magical creature that comes across Arthur's path. One of those magical beings is this young druid boy named Mordred, whose prophesied murder of Arthur gives Merlin a brutal sense of destiny doom. Murder a child to save the prince, or risk magic being banished forever in the kingdom falling to ruin. So the major plot threads of the show are it's can Merlin keep his magic a secret from everyone, um, considering that if he was found out, he would be uh, flayed alive. I think hanged. it's burned alive. Burned, well, yeah, I mean, it's going to be bad for him if he gets found out. Um, there's the class hierarchy thing with Guinevere and Arthur. Can they overcome it? And 
fall in love. Uh, and then there's just the kind of, you know, the society of magical people and can they overcome uh, their oppression and overthrow Uther and return the old religion to Camelot? There's Morgana's thread. Will she react well to discovering that she is an heir to the throne and a sorceress? Nope. Um, she does not. Well, yeah, she she overreacts a little bit. Um, then there's Arthur. Can he bring peace to Camelot? Can he be the King Arthur of the King Arthur stories? Um, and don't forget Lancelot. He shows up looking incredibly suave to throw a little bit of a monkey wrench in the whole Guinevere-Arthur plotline. Yeah, he's okay, but they they deal with him pretty well by just, like, sending him to the underworld or something for some reason. <laughs> On the off chance you haven't spent about 70 hours watching this BBC cast, um, we're going to introduce all of our characters in a rapid-fire round so you know who we're talking about when we say their names. First up. So we've got Merlin. He's a classic hero. He's a poor boy from nowhere. He's actually the chosen one of some sort. He's uh, kind. He's unreasonably brave. And he's magic. Uh, Arthur is this entitled jerk who's actually a good person. Very frustrating. Keeps taking Merlin on super dangerous adventures, despite claiming that Merlin is a bad servant who he can't stand. Uh, we've got King Uther. He's, uh, you know, he's terrible. He's awful. Uh, he did some genocide back in the day, uh, and it's ongoing. He still kills any magic person he comes across. Uh, he's He's got gout, probably. Um, Definitely temper problems. Yeah, his, I mean, his face is swollen, gets red. Uh, Merlin saves his life a bunch of times for no good reason. Uh, we'll talk about that later. But Filling out the family tree, we've got Morgana, Uther's ward slash secret daughter. Arthur maybe is going to have a thing with her at the beginning, but it doesn't go anywhere because, side note, incest? Not great in this fantasy world. Um, she's all right. Andrew and I have differences of opinions about her, but she eventually finds out she's a witch and finds out that she's actually a possible heir to the throne, and those two facts send her completely off the rocker. Two things happen when she becomes super evil. One, she loses her ability to think rationally. And two, she gets forest hair, which is way too good for living in an actual forest. Like, the girl's got amazing volume in curls. Um, we've got Guinevere. Um, in this iteration, she's a servant. She's plucky, uh, puts her hands in her hips a lot, um, kind of does a lot of sir, you forget yourself type stuff. Um, Arthur falls in love with her. I don't really know why, because I missed part of the middle of the show. Um, and she was clearly written by a man. It's, it's real bad, y'all. Gaius is the old dude with some magical ability. He basically acts as the father f figure for Merlin. He is Uther's chief doctor and is super loyal to him, despite the fact that Uther has killed basically anyone with magical ability, which includes Gaius. There's some side talk that Gaius actually sold out other magical peoples, which puts him in kind of an iffy place morally. Oh, I didn't know about that. Yeah. That, oh, I love that. That's great. Yeah, that's one of the reasons Uther's like, it's all right, you're cool, because you betrayed like an entire village oh, worth of people. Oh, man. 
Yeah, so he's super loyal to Uther despite all the genocide stuff, which again, weird. Favorite thing about Gaius is the conversation he has with Merlin every episode. Merlin, you can't use magic. King Uther will find you and he will kill you. Stay out of this one, Merlin. (laughs) (laughs) Don't touch it. There's a child going to be burned at the stake. I just want you to be chill, Merlin. Just, just, just be chill. Merlin's like, yeah, I'm going to stay out of it this time. And then as soon as Gaius falls asleep, which is early because Gaius is like 70, um, Merlin grabs his things and leaves. He always, right before he leaves, he takes a look back at Gaius and he goes anyways. Um, Gaius always looks appropriately trusting because, again, he's asleep, but it adds like this note of poignancy throughout every adventure like oh, i'm betraying gaius and we're all like yeah you did that 17 times in this season so far anyways we now have we have the knights at the round table they're there um they're basically interchangeable um uh, except for gawain who's pretty cool he rules um he uh, builds a pretty good relationship with um with merlin yeah, I mean, they all like Merlin. It's not really clear why they like Merlin, since they all think he's, like, worthless. I guess he makes pretty good soup while they're out on patrols and quests and stuff like that. He's like a mascot. He's, like, <laughs> yes. cute, but not really effective. Yeah, I mean, they don't give him any way to defend himself. They get attacked all the time. <laughs> <laughs> no one's ever considered... Merlin just fends for himself, and he usually has to do magic, which they don't notice. Um, yeah, so you've got, like, Percival, you've got Gawain, um, you've got Lancelot. Does Galahad ever show up? Yep, Galahad and Tristan. Uh, yeah, Tristan shows up. That was, plot He's was weird. constantly wearing, um, a chain metal sleeveless vest. Yeah, he's like a... Well, that's Percival. Oh, yeah. Tristan. Sorry. Again, is, they're very interchangeable. <laughs> Tristan's like a gypsy or something, and he's older. It's... It's weird. Uh, they have this, the head guy of, I guess, the most senior knight is a guy that for Not some reason is any of the tales. <laughs> I don't remember his name, actually, but he has nice curls. Um, it, it's possible that they're actually the only soldiers in Camelot. It's not clear. There's. It's okay, though. Whenever there was a big battle scene, they remarkably muster up this huge army that conveniently hangs out in tents and is never seen fully mustered. So they just, I think it's a casting call, cutting down on cost, but the security at Camelot is shockingly lax. Well, it's definitely a BBC thing. Like, you see American movies uh, and American shows when they have battles, like Game of Thrones. It's like, oh, you've got two armies, but the BBC does a lot of, like, clever, um, we're going to cut away and show this massive army of what may be just, like, figurines. We're going to have a symbolic conversation on a cliff overlooking the battle at some distance. Right. And then, like, the battle shots are all, like, three or four people are in the frame. Um, which isn't something to knock it for. It's just, it's fun. Anyways, uh, there's also a dragon. Hannah, tell us about the dragon. So, this dragon is super powerful and also is symbolically chained in the dungeon of Camelot. But apparently no one knows that there's a dragon there. Everyone's just like really chill about this mythical creature being locked in the dungeon. And I, by the dungeon, I mean like a massive cavern at the bottom of their, 
of their castle. Talk about structural damage. That, that reminds me. This is a brief tangent, but um, I was listening to uh, Eli Uden, a comedian in New York, talk about his apartment and in the bottom of his apartment in the basement, they have a room that's taped off. And it says, do not enter thousands of flies. <laughs> it's kind of like the dragon. They just like, they got him. They lured him down there and locked him down there. And then just like, just don't go in there. We're not going to deal with the dragon. Well, <laughs> the great part is it's like down a set of steps in a corridor, but there's no door. Like literally anyone could walk down and be like, oh, hey, dragon, what's up? No one does except for Merlin. How did they get the chains on him? Um, they said that, like, the last dragon speaker betrayed the dragon. Jeez. And, like, man. locked him up. I think Gaius and the last dragon speaker were pals? Well, the last dragon speaker was Merlin's dad, so probably not. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the dragon is basically used as a narrative device to explain, like, hey, kid, this is magic. And is weirdly fixated on this idea of Arthur assuming the throne and turning all of Camelot into um, Avalon. Yeah, the dragon is there for exposition, mainly. Uh, in the later seasons, he does some flying. I think he does, like, one fight. Um, he comes in handy a couple times, but he... He's, he's kind of like the eagles. He's not really beholden to anybody, but he'll, like, come to your aid if you're nice to him i guess well merlin has the ability to dragon speak so he has to come to help merlin okay but he's not like he's not just gonna come help gaius for some reason no he's he he torches camelot as soon as he gets out (laughs) (laughs) which is great because merlin let him out and then he's like oh hey guys so about this giant dragon who's setting literally everyone you love on fire um uh, he's cool he's a friend of mine he's super chill uh let me just go talk to him doesn't go well. <laughs> so after we have the dragon, and then there's like these assimilated forces of magic. Lots of these people, sometimes they're connected, sometimes they're not. But it's basically all of the underground rebels who want to bring magic yeah. back into Camelot. They're mad. They're um, real mad. I mean, the genocide stuff's kind of... It's not great. It's, it's not a, a good it's look. It's a sticking point for them. They're kind of obsessed with it. <laughs> it's one of those things they like keep bringing up in conversation. Like if you're vegan and you just want to mention it a couple times... Oh, come on. I've been careful about not doing that. I know. So they want to kill Uther, which we all think would be pretty great. Because, again, Uther is the literal worst. But for some reason, Merlin has volunteered himself as bodyguard of of the crown. So he's always stopping them. Again, not sure why. Just to reiterate, we obviously love this show. Yes, we think there's things to change, but there are a lot of bright spots. I would say I really like the show. All right. Andrew wants to downplay, but that's fine. I love The Sopranos. I I really like Merlin. The scale has been set, ladies and gentlemen. We'll calculate everything else upon this realm. So one of the things I really love about this show is, first of all, like, let's be honest, you've got sword fighting, you've got people in great dresses, and you have the occasional horse running through the wilderness. Like, I'm there. But on top of that, you've got Merlin. He's got this amazingly dry sense of humor. One of my favorite bits is he transforms himself into this ancient wizard to disguise <laughs> his magic and walks around just insulting 
everybody. So he just walks up to Arthur and goes, you're a stupid man and you're very mean to your servants. And Arthur's just like, dude, do I know you? And he goes on and lists like, I wouldn't even put a pig in the type of place your room is. And he does it in this voice. It's just like, it's obviously being played up and it's, it's really funny. It really is good. They did a great job with Merlin. Um, he's again, like a really young, he's not old. He doesn't have a gray beard or anything. He doesn't have a staff. He's just young and trying to figure things out. His cheekbones kind of develop over the show, I would say. He's got a bit of a Cumberbatch look to him. Like, to be honest, yeah. by the end, mm-hmm. like, he's starting to really cut those cheekbones. I mean, it, it could be Cumberbatch for all of this. <laughs> I, I think there are, like, five actors in England. <laughs> just recycled through. But... Merlin's got this great knack for, like, the understated side comment, which is great because he's a servant, so he has time to make a lot of those. Um, Spends a lot of time at the tavern, quote-unquote. Yeah, every time he has to go on a magical mission, Gaius panics and says, Oh, he's uh, at the tavern, super drunk. Uh, It's fine, alcoholism runs in his family. Uh, Arthur never demotes him, or he kind of, he gets mad at him for spending so much time in the tavern. Just like ghosting for days and going uh, on total benders, according yeah. to guys. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, yeah, but Arthur lets him stay and keeps taking him on important quests. Um, yeah. Other things that we love um, Gaius and Merlin are just amazing. They're super cute. Gaius has this sort of. Um, he kind of fills the role of the librarian in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Is that, has anybody on Tumblr like shipped Gaius and Merlin? Ew. No, but a lot of people ship Merlin and Arthur. Like, that's real strong. It's called Merther, and the tags are intense. It's not good. I feel like they kind of take into account that Arthur or Merlin can literally like zap Arthur's brain. So. Yeah, but Arthur doesn't know that. Yeah, but Merlin does, so it's fine. Um, Gaius, anyway. His brain, a euphemism. <laughs> oh god, that's what they want. Seriously though, I was looking for gifts of this show to put together and stumbled in very far into the wrong tag, and it gets serious. So, going back to another relationship that's much less homoerotic, um, Gaius and Merlin take care of each other. They have this bond because they're both trying to keep their magic secret. Gaius has magic, but it's very weak, and he hasn't been practicing, but he has all of the books stored away. So whenever Merlin needs a new spell, he needs to identify a creature, he needs to figure out how to cure somebody, Gaius is his go-to source, which creates a nice pattern throughout the, the story that he has someone to help be a moral compass, which he promptly ignores. But at least it's there saying, hey, kid, maybe don't blow up the whole castle to get a dragon free. Merlin's like, hey, thanks for the insight. Gaius also has this, um, he has this eyebrow. I think it's his right eyebrow. Um, and it's perpetually crooked, like at a sharp, like 45 degree angle. Um, it's, it's amazing. It's all, it's like he's almost, he's always on the verge of, discovering something crucial but like hasn't quite got there i know he always looks to me like a teacher who's trying to decide whether they're gonna like 
absolutely lose their mind at whatever a student just said or if they're going to be able to hold together and keep their job. Let's... Like, there's a little bit of the, like, what did you just say? Well, I have, I mean, we're both teachers, by the way, but I have that experience a lot where a kid comes up to me and asks me a question, and I have to figure out in you know, a pretty short time whether I can trust this kid uh, to do anything, um, whether they're trying to pull one over me, whether I should let them think that they have fooled me or something. And it's, yeah, Gaius does have that, that look. That's a good point. Um, Which, to be fair, he's basically fostering Merlin, who's constantly plotting, like, a low-level treason. So, it's legit. He's earned that face. Well, the thing is, if you were Gaius, like, you should, um, like, by the third time that Merlin had uh, disregarded his orders, Gaius should have, like, built a room with an outside lock and just been like, Merlin, you do that again, you're going in the room. <laughs> I feel like Camelot really doesn't have good CPS services, so he probably could have gotten away with that. Oh, definitely. He definitely could have gotten away with that. Hmm? Um, what are some other things you like, Andrew? Oh, um, I mean, like, I like sword fights. Uh, sword fighting isn't anything special in the show, but it's always fun when it comes up. Uh, uh, there's this character, Ag Agravain. Um, he's the villain, I think, in the fourth and fifth seasons, or he's one of the villains. He's like, he's, he's a stooge. Yeah, he's uh, Arthur's uncle. He shows up. I don't remember why he wasn't there in the first. He's there's some reason, right? He's Arthur's mother's brother, and Uther may or may not have killed his wife, so there was some familial tension. Okay. Then um, Uther kicked it. And Agravain showed up like, hey, Nephi, love you lots. I'm going to help you run this kingdom conveniently. Yeah. And he's working, he's working for Morgana. Um, but he's just, he's so bad at his job. Like, he could easily kill Arthur. There's no security in this castle. Um, he could do lots and lots of things. And he just fails again and again. I, I really enjoy that, personally. Um, watching characters just fail over and over. Um, I do wish the villains were a little bit better at their jobs, but we'll get to that in just a second. Oh, Some more bright spots. It's Merlin's fault. <laughs> I absolutely love the twist. When this, when this series started, I was really uncomfortable with the fact that Merlin and, sorry, Arthur and Morgana were being played as potential love interests because I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Too creepy. Like, I don't like it. Um, <clears throat> because, again, they're all young, like, maybe upper teenagers and so it kind of had a weird vibe to it but the twist in about the third season that oh my goodness Morgana is actually the reason she gets away with everything that she does and the reason that she is constantly being like spoiled and pampered is because she's actually Uther's daughter and no one has realized this before was fantastic she was already starting to kind of rebel against um rebel against Uther on the on behalf of magic because Uther had Guinevere's father brutally murdered because he accused him of working sorcery. He was a blacksmith, but you know, evidence. Um, so Morgana tar started to turn against Uther, but then all of a sudden realized that he was her actual father. And really interesting interplay between the tension there of what is deserved and the betrayal of being lied to your whole life. Yeah, and that's like a that's something that kind of really become an interesting thread in the show. 
uh, had they worked to kind of pull it out more. Um, they didn't really, but that's okay. Um, I like Morgana a lot, or I did at first. I was actually really rooting for her. Um, uh, I feel like she's got some legitimate gripes. I Wait, feel- were you rooting for her to win Arthur? No, I... That That's... Side note, that's one thing that... It happens in a lot of shows that I've seen in the first season when they're trying to figure things out. And I shouldn't say that it drives me crazy because I understand why it happens. But where they set up a love interest that they then realize isn't going to work and then just abandon it without really saying anything. Uh, It happened in Criminal Minds was, I think, the first time I ever saw it and was, like, really shocked by it because it it took me, like, three seasons to realize, oh, they're just, like, never going to touch that again. Um, with Merlin, like, setting up that as a love interest was a little odd because anybody who knows anything at all, like, literally anything, uh, knows that Arthur marries Guinevere. It's, like, the point. Yeah, and you also, if you know a little bit more about Arthurian legend, you know that, uh, Morgan, um, is, is really bad and, like, is, is a witch and she's kind of the villain, villainess of the of the saga well she does also seduce in their original she seduces arthur the day after his first battle she seduces everybody <laughs> she woman gets around she knows she knows how to make a deal and she gets power for every bed she jumps in that's for sure yes but she also in this particular case get or not in this case but in the story gives birth to mordred who is later arthur's doom because he can't bring himself to kill his own child um yeah. This story, not so much, but we're going to stay focused. More of the bright spots. Um, I found it amusing. Uh, it's also something I would fix, but I did find it amusing that the magic in the show, it's very, again, BBC low budgets um, with uh, just like all of the magic. I would say like 85% of it is the wizard or the witch um, extending their palm, saying something, and their eyes go yellow. They have this, like, bright yellow thing to indicate magic. And then the person that they're pointing at, uh, gets pushed back really hard. Kind of like, uh, the Force in Star Wars, where they would push people with their hands, um... That's something you liked about it? I found we're it... we're still on the things I found like. it amusing, is what I said. Like, <laughs> I'm just, yeah, that's... I like, um... I had it written down. A lot of our women are very strong-minded. They have... We've got two... An amazing, like, warrior slash sorceress. And one of her big moves is that she enters a tournament and defeats Arthur. And he's all like, a woman? And she has a very Eowyn moment in which she pulls her helm off. And all of a sudden, this long, blonde hair comes down in this big braid. And everyone's like, oh my gosh, how could this be? Also, a couple scenes where casually Morgana and Guinevere, with no explanation, pick up swords and just go to town on various, like, raiders. Again, no explanation on how they've learned this. And they never practice for the rest of the season. But whenever called upon, they can dish out a couple of good blows. I have a quick question for you. I am pretty sure this show is written mostly by men. Um, it seems that the women characters, while you have kind of a a really good outline of a character 
uh, there's some missing depth uh, to the female characters. And I, to be fair, there's some missing depth to like Arthur and Merlin uh, too, but it's really apparent in the women. If you were writing a story where you had a woman warrior who is good, but everybody is, you know, says like, oh, you can't fight because you're a woman, what would, what would it look like? I mean, I feel like in essence, one of the things, one of the people who does this really well is um, Tamara Pierce. So she addresses yes. this issue, and one of the things that she develops is the idea that one, it takes a lot of determination. So she puts a lot of her narrative into the actual work of becoming as physically strong, as physically adept, so that it feels very earned. It's not a magical, like, I woke up like this super muscly and with great reflexes. No, it's that Kel, for example, or Alana go out every day, practice with weights that are heavier, they practice with um, swords, they train their bodies intentionally. Um, I think that's the main issue is when women character, female characters are introduced with this untouchable magic power that actually makes them seem less human. So I would want to see Guinevere and Morgana training. I would want to see them getting their butts kicked in practice. I would want to see that element of it because that makes it to where this is a person who has a skill rather than this is this mythical being. It's like a unicorn. A woman who can fight? What? No. Uh, Yeah, like Guinevere does have like a sword fight or two in the later seasons, right? Yeah. Um, Yeah. I, I don't know about anybody listening, but I personally, holding a sword, uh, would get killed pr- almost immediately. Because I, so I don't know how to handle them at all. Um, I've had, like, stick fights with kids when I was, when I was a kid, to be clear. <laughs> <laughs> he just walks around walloping neighborhood children. It's great. I mean, like We've the, finished the three lawsuits, but there is a fourth pending. Teenagers are awful. Sometimes you got to just, like whack them but again but, like you end up what this ends is a up, joke well what ends up happening is for me at least my knuckles would very quickly be bruised and if i was dealing with a sword that would mean that my hand was chopped in half um i get hit in the head the neck the butt you know so what you're saying about guinevere is i'm saying like it's it's not plausible that she just pick up a sword and be any good at it at all. Yeah, and I she think. actually is moderately decent. Yeah, I mean, I do like, her brother is a knight, so maybe they would spar. Her know. brother is a knight, and which I thought was actually a really nice touch. Um, her brother becomes a knight. But I think there's also... She's definitely not as overpowered, skilled as Morgana. Morgana's like Xeno warrior princess out there. And it's a little bit annoying because she is very powerful in that in the first two seasons and then once she becomes a witch it's like she forgets that she knows how to use a sword so in any fight she'll just do the force push where you're like you could literally stab this person with a sword and she's like no i think i'll demonstrate that i have magical powers which i mean whatever okay we're we're veering we're veering so why don't we just jump into some of the things that we would fix well uh, i should also last thing that we liked i think is that it's 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 really uh it's very watchable. Um, we probably watched two episodes 
a night, which is, for us, is pretty big. Look, guys, we have a toddler, and we work really early mornings. Two nights, two episodes a night is straight up 24-7 binging in the parent world. Yeah, and they're, they're like, hour-long episodes. They're decent. Um... One other thing I'd like to point out as the bright spot, this is, one of the writers described this as a three-generation show, and I think that's really accurate. It's something you could watch. I'd be comfortable watching with my parents. I'd be comfortable watching with my kid. I mean, when he's not a toddler, like right now. But I, Andrew and I enjoyed it together, and I really like shows that I could sit with and not be anxious, but also be entertained. Yeah, there's no gore... Um, there's no uh, tasteful nudity. Or distasteful nudity, <laughs> depending on which side of the line you're on. Like, I mean, come on. They have Arthur walking around, and, like, the most, like, eye candy shots you get is when he's wearing, like, a mostly laced shirt. And you're like, oh, wow. I'm shirtless a couple times. His physique isn't, like, again, it's in England, so, <laughs> so like, they don't have the American thing where every actor is like buff like just yoked totally also just like glowingly tan like yeah. arthur is definitely pale <laughs> I mean, there's, like a, there's a bad trend in american movies where it's like you watch the leftovers and like the main character is this alcoholic cop who drinks beer every night but when he takes his shirt off he's got like an eight pack and you're like how is this See, that's what he does on his benders he just like blacks out and does 700 crunches every night Yes, yes, uh, yeah. (laughs) All right, so the point of this show is that we love these things, but mercy, there's some steps that got missed. We can see a couple of places where with a couple of minor readjustments, Merlin could go from a cheesy, I would say like a B plus, B, B plus kind kind of TV experience to something solidly in the 90th percentile. Yeah, I mean, like, the source material is great. Arthur has endured for hundreds and hundreds of years, so uh, there's no reason the show couldn't be great, I don't think. And they had a couple of good good plot lines that they started, and then just kind of let flicker out. So what we would want to do, we want to look at a couple ways to tweak this. Uh, Yes. Alright, let's dig into the nitty gritty. I know the show is called Merlin, and obviously Arthur's involved. But if we're talking about the Arthur story, let's get one thing straight. You have got to get Guinevere right. She is and has always been the kind of the core impetus of the Arthur narrative and both the push to glory and then also, of course, the eventual destruction and defeat of Camelot. She's both hero and villain kind of. Hero, yeah. villain, and victim, I think, are all... Yeah, oh, definitely victim and like, modern eyes. I, I think I was just going for how they're portrayed, how she's portrayed in different tellings. Yeah, I think, I think she's become increasingly sympathetic, but you also need to remember in the original, like, in Lamorte Arthur, her love is often con- contrasted with, like, Tristan and Isolde, and so it has this idea of courtly love the idea of passionately loving someone who's not your spouse was both, at least in literature, accepted and kind of encouraged as a romantic thing to do. Right, yeah. Um, 
I also remember from the Clive Owen Arthur that Guinevere is an Amazon of some sort, correct? Yeah, we're just going to go ahead and move quickly past, like, I mean, come on, excuse me. Can we just take a minute, any of my ladies, and consider running across a field with nothing but various sized <laughs> leather straps holding it all together? Like, it's snowing. It's snowing outside. <laughs> Look, y'all, that ain't never going to happen. Have you been to England? It's, it's cold, even in the summer. Like, not to mention, like, no way that is enough support to run across a field in. Yeah. Um, so, Guinevere in this case comes off a little bit better than Clive Owen, which, I mean, I guess thanks for not being negative 200, but, you know, she is sassy, as Andrew stated before. She's got really, uh, really good looks. Also, she's a woman of color in this, which is a nice touch. I was, I was pretty excited about that. Um, it's never directly addressed and there's a little bit of iffiness in the fact that she's both a woman of color and the one of the only characters to be defined as a servant um that kind of had a squeaky feel to me but I don't know I like that they at least went away from like a golden blonde Guinevere showing up and winning Arthur she's definitely plays the voice of the people um the common sense a little bit like Hermione, except if Hermione was just kind of a gentle nag instead of actually being bring. What does she bring yeah. to the table? Uh, that's the that's the confusing part to me. Um, it doesn't seem like she brings a whole lot to the table. Like she's nice. Um, she's definitely like a likable character. Uh, I wouldn't say she has any great skills that are really. Uh, fleshed out in the show um so hannah and i have different ideas i think about what they should have done with this character um i personally struggle to name anything interesting about her as presented in the show uh and when i think of what she should be i kind of picture like elizabeth uh, the the tutor one like a, a young elizabeth the first or like marjorie Terrell in game of thrones someone ambitious clever maybe a little ruthless at times uh i just think that ambitious people trying to cooperate with each other is interesting and having uh arthur merlin morgana and guinevere kind of all interacting uh i think would be you know, really interesting. And... Guinevere does operate... Like, yes, I can see her having a little bit more bite would be interesting, but she operates a lot as the buffer for the other characters. She is the person with the most integrity throughout the show. Yes. That she um, she doesn't lie, she says what she means, but she also really cares about other people. And so we see yes. her taking care of everybody. We see her... Um, repeatedly reaching out to different characters when it's clear that something's going on and being someone who's like, I'm not going to pry, but if you want someone to talk to, I'm here for you. I think she operates a lot as like the heart of the show that Arthur has, Arthur has the nobility, but he often lacks the common sense to connect with other people. 
Merlin has that destiny vibe where he's constantly battling the conscience of like, he do oper- I? He operates on like a higher plane, right? Right. He doesn't have to follow real rules because right. he can just magic <laughs> his way out of everything. Um, Morgana definitely has a lockdown on the like identity crisis and the drama. She also at one point gets invaded by like brain bugs. Super cool. So when it goes to the ear. Yeah, they like drop it in her ear. Oh man, bugs gross. in the ear. It's like, another trope. I don't like. I don't like it. But Guinevere is consistently kind. And I think that's what pulls Arthur to her is the fact that Uther is horrible to Arthur. Like he yells at him all his time, is never proud of him, it's constantly undercutting him. Morgana is kind to Arthur, but in a very snarky sort of like little sister kind of way, or she's like yeah, well, we already knew that. Whatever. Um, Guinevere's just nice to him. Yeah. And I think that Arthur's lonely enough that he falls for the first girl who is consistently nice for him. Yeah. I th- I think that I would personally just do away with the whole servant thing and make her just a foreign princess. She's come, she's come to Camelot to wed. She's come to form an alliance or whatever, you know, whatever princesses do. Um, okay. She does that. No, I... I agree, like, her kindness is important to the show, and I would keep that. I would just add a little more, kind of, another um, another layer to it, where there's also this ambition and this... Uh, um... So here's what I would do. Okay. Um, I get that you're saying, like, you want to elevate her, you want to give her more cards to play. In essence, she doesn't have a lot of sway in this narrative, except what other people give her. She has power because Arthur loves her, but she doesn't have power in and of herself. Um, I see your idea of her coming into wed. I think that's a little bit too on the nose. So what I would do is have Uther be concerned that Morgana is growing up without other noble ladies. So have him have a... Um, okay. huh? I said okay. <laughs> he Have him invite Guinevere and perhaps like a governess type woman to do a school for ladies trope. Then we allow the governess woman to be secretly a witch. And the governess can train Morgana in the dark arts while Guinevere is just kind of like along for the ride and starts to kind of catch on. But So she has power over Morgana because she would know Morgana's secret. But she's also Morgana's equal because she's a lady of the house. Then we also can throw in a little bit of the, like, will they or won't they? Well, like, I'm just staying in your house for a year. I guess we could set up a flirtation. But, again, that they have that kind of equal footing. Because one of the big problems is that Arthur is so far above both um, Guinevere and Merlin that their friendship constantly seems like an indulgence on his part. Right, and Uther even says this when... Arthur reveals that he's in love with Guinevere. Uther, like, laughs, and he's like, yeah, I, I, you know, hung around servant girls when I was a prince. Like, it's cool. That's what we all do. Now you need to get serious and go get yourself a noble lady, right? Doesn't play well in 2018. It's not great. But, well, yeah, Uther is basically <laughs> like, so, yeah, I get it. She's super hot. Get you some. But... Like, you gotta get a ring yeah. on a royal finger. Like, yeah. Um, Uther doesn't, or Arthur doesn't take that super well, which is a nice, it's a nice moment where Arthur's like, sorry, rewind the tape. I think you just called the woman I said that I loved a cheap, and then there are some other words. 
So yes. that was a nice moment of Arthur's integrity. But notably, then Arthur, like, he just folds and bows to Uther's wishes. Uh, uh, also, I think, um, so I think we're on the same page about, I think, making her at least a noblewoman, uh, somebody who is on more equal footing. I'd also like to give her, uh, I think she's presented as intelligent in the show, but, like, give her, make that more apparent. Give her more political intelligence, uh, more um, kind of savvy with matters of court and stuff and more awareness of her identity and her place in this world i was thinking of maybe leaning her into like the idea of curing people and maybe having her be really interested in what gaius is doing and so she's like researching along with gaius which also means in my rework of the show guinevere would be the one slipping merlin all the data on hey that beast you saw that beast you saw with wings, a lion head, that's a camera. Like, that's, this is how you can kill it. And that Gaius kind of gets it, but is really one step more removed from the magic side so that you have more of a rogue generation feel right. that it's all the younger kids together versus the, like, well-meaning but clueless adults. That sells. Yeah, like Morgana, Arthur, Merlin, and Guinevere kind of forming this... Um... Uh, like the babysitter's club, but for monsters. Right, and they all have slightly different ideas about where they believe the kingdom should go, but also that they care about one another to varying degrees, at least at the beginning. Um, and Speaking... I think it would make the later conflict in the show um, make a lot more sense. Right, you want to bind them tightly together so that the rupture really breaks our heart. I will say the scenes in which um, Morgana and Guinevere both know each other's secret but continue to lie to each other if they don't that was a really heartbreaking scene to me and then in the last season uh Morgana's obsessed with the idea that Guinevere will sit on her throne and so she goes out on this all-out vendetta and ruins Gwen's life with a magical ring that makes her profess her love and like totally make out with Lancelot um which leads to some really heartbreaking scenes but in essence if that Bond had been more tightly wound with actual relational elements, I think it would have been even more powerful as it was coming undone. Yeah, and it's it's weird, because Morgana does like uh, Guinevere, at least at the beginning. That's what we're kind of led to believe. And then it goes totally the other way. And there's not... I didn't notice a whole lot of conflict, at least on Morgana's part, of being like, I loved Gwen. I think she's good. I do want the throne. I do hate the Pendragons, but like, I don't want Guinevere to get hurt. Well, she does have a scene in which she asks Guinevere to swear allegiance to her, and she's like, I can protect you. Like, I can get you out of here. And Gwen does, but then Gwen later obviously goes back to Arthur. So that may be what you're looking for, but again, super underdeveloped. It could have yeah. been fleshed out to where it wouldn't have been such a like blink and you miss it moment. Yeah, and the, like the fourth and the fifth seasons, there's. There are no moments, I think, where Morgana shows that she cared at all for Guinevere. Um, or Arthur, for that matter. Like, they really dropped the ball there with how how to maintain the tension of... Really, I love, I love the idea that hate is 
kind of like going back to like some say the world will end in fire some say of hate like from what I've tasted of desire I hold with those who favor fire but if I had if it had to perish twice I think I know enough of hate to say that for destruction ice is also great would suffice yeah but it's like part of the idea is like her desire to be part of the group turns so brutally into her hate of that same group because she feels like they all betrayed her yeah but I think that um Morgana feels that. Right. I think kind of fleshing that betrayal out more. They really need to connect the dots better emotionally. Yeah. Right. And making it to where like, oh, it can't, okay, it makes a lot of sense now that Morgana just like hates Arthur and wants to kill him. Or that she hates Gwen and wants to kill her. Not just not make her queen or... Um, she has a scene where she locks her story. in a tower and does really brutal she psychological torture. Her. Yeah. It's, it's to the like point a... where she she essentially breaks Gwen and makes Gwen into, like, what is it? Stockholm Syndrome was intense. Yeah, it was like a black site. It was horrible. It was... It, it almost made me stop watching the show, I'll be honest. I have a squeamish stomach about that kind of thing, but, like, it, it almost broke me. We were really late into the show when that <laughs> happened, so... I was already committed. That would have been really odd if we had just stopped watching and never found out what happened in the last four episodes. We probably still would have done the podcast. But... <laughs> <laughs> we just, like, fudged the ending. Uh... But, yeah, like, it was, it was definitely a moment where I was like, I don't know if... We can. I ha, I made Andrew promise that he was going to watch the next episode and tell me if Gwen was going to be okay, which I'm not sure if he did, but he said that he did. So, yeah. So making Gwen more intelligent, uh, making her kind of giving her her own ambitions, I think would be good. Um, her own social um, right. currency. Right, but I I agree with like keeping her kind of. She needs to stay kind. Kind, good. Loving. Loving. Loyal. Yes. Yes, I think those are good. I would actually just do away with the whole Lancelot will there, won't they? Unlo- no way. You cannot. You well, can't. Okay, so I'll, I'll rephrase. I would have it, and I think they pretty much just did this in the show, where before Arthur and Guinevere fall in love, like Lancelot was like her first Fling. Love. Yeah. yeah. I think that's that's good. The, the love triangle like affair stuff... I just don't think it works really well. Um, Look, as married people, we're not into the idea of people having affairs, okay? We don't like it. Move on. It's just hard to redeem somebody who's had an affair, I, I think. It's, it's a pretty big deal. Yeah. Um, yeah, I like the idea of having Lancelot essentially winning Guinevere's favor and then have it not work out for some reason. And have then you have kind of the ongoing tension, not necessarily of like, are they going to get back together, but just that that frustration and that tension of having a relationship that's changed, but still having to live in close proximity with each other. Yeah. You know, like going to a class with your ex boyfriend, and you're like, cool. Do we still share notes or what? How do we set the rules here? Except all of a sudden she's going to be queen, and he's going to be her servant. So. Yeah. By the way, I would not send Lancelot to like the netherworld or wherever he went yeah they sent him as like a sacrificial like lamb he volunteered yeah because he thought Arthur was going to volunteer and he was like Gwen loves Arthur and I swore that I would keep Arthur safe to Gwen so I'm going to throw myself into this chasm of doom thanks dude let the dude go down in a in a flame of glory let him get like stabbed by like 
40 arrows as he's... Boromir style? Yeah, like, yeah, let him go out like a boss. This is... I mean, it was a very noble act. It was but noble, but it was also like, ah, oh, man. Not, it was also super gone. quick. Like You it, also don't get the scene of him dying on screen, which is really important, I think, and as far as... We kept waiting for him to come back. Go. They did bring him back as a zombie. Yeah. That was weird. They brought him back as a zombie so that Gwen could make out with him and ruin her chances of Arthur. Again, we would tweak that. That's gross. She made out with a dead guy. Not into it. All right. Next thing that we would tweak. Um, so, Uther. Totally uh, the worst. So, Uther is played by Anthony Head, who also played Giles in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So when I saw that he was in this, I was excited because Giles was awesome. But it takes about half an episode to realize that Uther is, he's a prick. Like, he's awful. Um, and it... It took four seasons for them to kill Uther off. Oh my gosh. First of all, we'd kill Uther off second season. That would be the finale of oh, the second season. I think end of the first season. No way. Okay. Right. End of the first season. Hold on. We're going to run through the seasons at the end when we've got it all laid out. Okay. Uh, we might have some disagreement on this, but he's got to go sooner than season four. The dude has got to go. Um, And like during this time they had to keep manufacturing reasons for these ostensibly good people around him not to just like go and shiv him in his sleep i think it's because they're british they're like really into their monarchies like yes someone should have done a like revolution yeah like i mean the most puzzling case is merlin for sure with arthur you know he's Uther's son and you expect him to not be able to like objectively judge the situation even as you see he kind of realizes uh, that too little, bad. too late. But definitely too little, too late. But it's like he's also conflicted about it. You wouldn't expect him to commit regicide. He uh, does. Arthur does. To be fair to Arthur, he does intervene on several policies that Uther makes. But he intervenes and then goes to his dad and basically has like a public call out, which is not effective. He's like the that. Whoever the cabinet official was who wrote that I am the resistance inside the Trump administration, like yeah. ser- serving loyally, but like trying to stop the worst excesses from taking place. Which is like really great until it's like, oh, cool. So we actually need like a Marie Internet style storming up the Versailles. Yeah. And instead we're getting this like really lame Facebook post from a dude who kind of works somewhere. And, oh, by the way, Sofia Coppola should have directed an episode of this show. She, she could direct anything. She it's fine. No, that was a good, that was a good movie. It's gorgeous. <laughs> um, but, uh, but I understand Arthur not obviously being kind of hip to it. Uh, Gaius is sympathetic to magic and has some magic himself. Also witnessed a lot of trauma. Like, yeah. Uther killed people he knew. We later find out that his wife and or lover, unclear fled because Uther had ID'd her and Gaius gave other people up as a way to slow Uther down so his wife could get out. Yeah. What? Super yeah. twisted. Yeah, and that that's really cool. I had forgotten about that. But, I mean, Uther is at least, from what I saw, is pretty nice to Gaius most of the time. I mean, he seems like an okay boss, so... I don't know, he's kind of like Batman and Alfred, where he's, like, indulgent of... 
the of the butler because he has taken care of him so long, but has some really rude tantrums at him when Yes. But he's like Gaius has Uther's ear. Um you know, he's got job security, he's got lodging, he's got good insurance. Um it makes sense. I mean he is the insurance. Well, yeah, that's another thing. Uh, like he, uh, it would be nice if Uther had some more doctors around. Um, but Merlin, like Uther, is a mortal danger to Merlin's life. He's probably the biggest threat to Merlin's life in the whole kingdom. More than heart disease. More than the plague. More than just dying at twenty for no reason, as medieval people sometimes did. And more than that, like Uther's a jerk to Merlin uh, when he even remembers him at all. Merlin is an outsider. He knows about the wizard genocide. Uh, he has no reason to justify he it. He could himself. be a victim of the wizard genocide at literally any point. Yeah, like Uther is definitely the biggest threat to his life. And, like, Merlin doesn't even have to do the assassination himself. He can just he, let some of the other assassinations. There work. were like a hundred times, <laughs> and he could have just, like, you know, all he had to do was not do anything, and Uther would be gone, and things would be better. So his argument, though, his argument is that, like, Arthur's not ready to take the throne. And point B, if magic is involved in killing Uther, then Arthur will be hardened against magic, and things will stay terrible forever. Right. Which, okay, like, that's legit. I get it. But there's at least one case in which another king is planning on an assassination with a normal dude, with a normal arrow, in normal political trauma, and Merlin, for some reason, like, dives in front of the arrow, gets shot, Mordred gets shot. Like, a lot of people get shot, but they save Uther, and it's like, dude, just pause on the stairs. Do a couple Hail Marys. Like, it's going to be okay. Go to the bathroom. And then come back and be like, oh my gosh, Uther's dead? Here, rescue the situation. Let Arthur become king. And everyone will just be like, let's go attack this other kingdom. Because they killed our king in a normal assassination with no magic. Yeah, I think Merlin is just, like, thinking way too hard about... Maybe he's just a good person and doesn't want to be involved with death. But he's also supporting, basically, like, English Hitler. Yeah, he watches Uther do these horrible things, and he's like, uh, like, one day it'll be better, but, you know. So Anyways, so I would the, have... The most aware person is definitely Morgana. Yes. All right? Guinevere's up there because she's a commoner, so she's actually like, hey, BT dubs, like, taxes that are up to 30% of what you earn actually make it to where people die because they can't eat anything. Good point, Guinevere. Like, maybe we should pay attention to that. Morgana is politically savvy enough to where she starts to resent Uther and she starts to, she actually makes a deal with some renegades that she's going to lure Uther out into this open space and they're going to attack him and kill him. She's like, okay, fine. She does this because she just found out she had magic. She thinks about telling Uther and then Uther accuses Gwen's father, the blacksmith, of having magic and brutally kills him despite Morgana pleading for his case. And so Morgana realizes, like, crap, I cannot ever tell Uther that I have magic because he's going to straight up murder me. Turns out the thought of being murdered by your father figure, hashtag actual father, um, is really disturbing. So she decides instead, great solution, I'm going to murder him. 
So she pulls him out. She gets radicalized. She gets super radicalized. Pulls him out into this trap. She takes him on this pilgrimage to her father's slash fake father's grave. And then on the way, Uther like pours his heart out to her and is like, I want to be a good king. You're right. Like, I need to listen to you more. Like, I I have to learn like not to let, um, I, I need to control the people with love and not with fear. And she's like, oh, shoot, maybe I can control him from the inside. I can make him a better person. No one controls Uther, including Uther. Uther is just like this raw batch of adrenaline. Just boom, all the time. So anyway, she really leaned into that more and just like had him always. He's just got just chalice after chalice of wine. (laughs) Always visibly drunk. uh, Is always complaining about pains and stuff. Isn't good at fighting anymore. Um, They should really go like. Uh, Robert Baratheon on him. And instead, they really dug into this idea that he's still like this hale and hearty dude, and he's gonna rule forever, which was not encouraging for anyone. Morgana's woke; like she guessed that Uther is the worst. Let's just take a moment. If we were gonna fix this situation, Arthur and Morgana should be woke together. It should start in the first season. They should be like, "Dang, Dad slash Ward Father." is really not great at this. The people are hungry, they don't feel safe, and, like, this is bad. I think they should start digging in, thinking, like, okay, how can we do better? And planning, not necessarily regicide, but essentially, Uther, Arthur's going to be king one day, because, like, there royal monarchy. Like, when I'm king, it'll be different. Yeah, and and thinking through... Arthur's like, okay, I control the knights. I'm going to teach the knights to be like this. And he does somewhat, but it's not very well laid out. Instead, identifying Arthur and Morgana as revolutionaries allows them to have a really useful bond and a passion for like making Camelot better and then drives that to where when Morgana chooses magic and Arthur doesn't, they both want to make Camelot better, but they've picked such different paths that they're going to run into each other. Yeah. Well, I would make them reformers, and then Morgana gets radicalized, and she becomes revolutionary. She's that's fair. Like Arthur still wants basically to adjust course from within the ship, right. and Morgana's like, like blow gotta, the ship up, yeah. yeah, run it into an island like, of magic. Yeah, let's go to space. Um, yeah, I mean, she's supposed to be bad for wanting the throne, but in theory, it like totally makes sense. She would be way, way better than Uther. Um, Literally anyone would be better than Uther, yeah, but... Just, and she just, like... Her biggest problem is she just, like, comes in too hard, like the Jacobins. She's just, like... You know, if she would have done a little bit of marketing, she could have really had the people rising up with her. Oh she could have really played the, like, I'm the lost child of Uther, and also, I have magic. Like, she could have unified the people who loved Uther and the people who loved magic and been like, I'm going to bring the kingdom together. And legitimately, that would have been a campaign platform I would have voted for. Yeah, she could have... I mean, it's a monarchy, but you know. Instituted some popular reforms, uh, made some popular promises, been like, you know, no more rats. Uh, she could have hired some more doctors. Um, what? Multiple doctors in one town? In the whole kingdom, depending on the 70-year-old man. She's like, that's bad, no more. She could have, like, dealt with the tax situation, but been like, you're paying 30% taxes, but we're going to institute a really generous social safety net. She'll be taken care of. Nobody's going to starve. She could have built some more 
some much needed housing on the outskirts of Camelot, built some like Camelot suburbs. Cause Maybe also designed a way for villages to notify them that they're being attacked, other than one single villager stumbling into the gates. Help! My village has been attacked! And everyone's like, hey, what do you owe? Okay, yeah, so we're gonna get ready on that. So in like a week or so, we'll go check out your village. Yeah, they Thanks, bro. have this whole kingdom, but they keep getting overrun by villagers inside their kingdom. Who they can't protect or defend. Um, you know, she could have, you know, forged some more coins, run the economy hot for a bit, sparking some short-term growth. Um, this was the pre-revolutionary era. I imagine most people in Camelot didn't really care much who ruled them. And pro- they, I'm sure they weren't especially attached to Uther, uh, especially considering he was bad. Oh, side note, there is this movie about Lancelot called First Night. Um, Hannah, you've seen it, right? Yeah, it's got that weird kidnapping scene in the boat. Yes, it's it's very bad. It came out in the 90s um, when movies were still really bad. Uh, I watched it dozens of times as a kid for some reason. And I was looking back on it recently, and there's a scene at the end where the bad guy... In front of all the citizens of Camelot has staged a coup and basically has Arthur and his knights surrounded... He demands that Arthur like bend the knee and uh, so that he'll spare the people. So Arthur, who's played by Sean Connery, does this trick where he looks like he's going to kneel uh, and he gets down and he said, as, says, like, as my last command as your king, I command you all. And then he goes, to fight! Fight for Camelot! Never surrender! And he obviously gets killed right away because he's surrounded by his enemies. And the people, like, at this point, they should have looked at that and been like, okay, our guy just got got, but this other guy said that he would spare our lives if we just, like, are loyal to him. Like, who cares who is our king? Also, like, Arthur never did anything for us, so... Right, like, they're all... I mean, they're all in peasant garb. They don't look like they're very healthy or anything. Like, uh... And... You know, the people, none of them have weapons. They actually do start fighting. And so many of them get slaughtered. <laughs> so Because since... they're unarmed and they're fighting professional soldiers with weapons and armor. It's a massacre. Um, right. So the first night was not good. <laughs> Super bad. Also poor, poor revolutionary planning. Morgana would have got it done. Yeah. Except that for some reason, whenever she develops magic, she automatically loses all of her strategic thinking skills. The girl leads like 700 assassination attempts on Arthur, none of which have any chance of success. I mean, I think honestly, she, she could have walked into the castle, said, Arthur, I've been lost. I've been kidnapped for weeks and I broke free. He would be like, oh my gosh, I love you so much. I'm so glad you're back. I care about you. And she'd be like, cool. And then stabbed him in the literal back with a literal sword. Done. Nope. Three seasons of her sending, like, magic jewelry, of her enchanting a troll at one point. Like, I mean, there's just a lot. A lot that's yeah. going on and none of it works. I would say that there were a lot of, like, like she could have easily assassinated Arthur a lot of times. And she just is bad at it. Um, I mean, but the, the other thing is, like, when she does get the throne, she goes in really hard. She's not, like trying to bring the kingdom together or reassure the people. Again, just really bad marketing. Because it's like, you know, these feudal kingdoms, like, they're not 
there's no patriotism, really. It's like, why would you fight a much stronger enemy who's offering to let you live uh, if only you would just let the new guy be king or let Morgana be the queen? Um, it's like an insanely easy trade-off for these people, but Morgana just, you know, she can't, like, just let the people be like, okay, this is a little weird, but I guess you're queen now. She has to, like, demand absolute loyalty, absolute uh, love, and, you know, she just could have played her hand a whole lot better. Um, she knows the kingdom well. She uh, she overextended, and she yeah. did it badly. And the people know her. Also, presumably. like, she could have maybe worn something other than, like, dramatic black, I'm totally the villain robes. She, if she would have shown up in, like, a nice peach number with her hair all did and been like, I'm back, I want to take care of my people, 98% of people are like, all right, sure, that that's fine with us. Can you keep us from being overrun by barbarians? You can shoot magic out of your hands? Deal. Yeah, like, remember Uther? You want to go back to Uther? They'd be like, no. I mean, it's disappointing. Uh, I was rooting for Magana, but, you yeah, know, shouldn't have heroes, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, the betrayal cut real deep. So, other thing, speaking of betrayal cutting real deep, the main thrust of Arthur... Oh, anyways. (laughs) The main issue with Arthur is this tension throughout the series of, like, will Arthur discover that Merlin has magic? And, like, for the first season, you're like, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, it's going to happen. It's so stressful. Second season, you're like, all right, He's literally at one point killed, like, Arthur and Merlin are out in the woods. Merlin kills a, drives away a magical creature who has just knocked Arthur out. Arthur comes to, and Merlin straight up tells him, Oh, you killed the creature, and it knocked you out. And then after you stabbed it, it disappeared. And we were all standing there like, there's no way on earth that this is good. And Arthur goes, oh, yeah, that makes sense. I'm a really good swordsman. What? Yeah. There's no chance. So there's four, there's four, five seasons in which we're just waiting. By the third season, we're like, all right, so Arthur's an idiot, is never going to get catch on. The only way they're going to find out is if, like, Morgana finds out and snitches. Nope. Wait all the way until literally the last four minutes of season five hashtag spoilers but they reveal each other and then arthur dies and there's like this like really unsatisfactory vibe i think that's the whole last episode it, it's not enough let's be no honest. no definitely um yeah and it one part of the show that is really confusing is why is arthur why does he like Merlin? What what does he see in Merlin that's... Other people ask that all the time. Like, what's the deal? You keep saying your servant is terrible at cleaning things. He's always late. He is really crap at, like, polishing. Yeah, but he, like, he keeps him around. Merlin rises really fast to the ranks. Um, he gets to be personal servant to Arthur within a few episodes, right? And he rides out on all of the missions despite... It being absolute canon and repeated multiple times, he has no weapon, has no wilderness skills. No thing, abilities at all? Like No abilities. Arthur makes fun of him all the time where they're walking through the woods and Merlin sets off 17 birds and breaks three tree trunks and it's just this massive cacophony. We're like, well, why are you bringing this dude? 
especially if you don't know that he has magic. Yeah, he's Here's always my... like, Merlin, you're worthless. Yeah, would you just shut up? But, okay, here's my take. Arthur's just a super lonely kid and finally found someone who's nice to him. And he just wants to bring his best friend with him everywhere. And it's super cute. But could we make it better? We could absolutely make it better. All right, yeah, Andrew, just... tell us how we're going to make it better. Well, yeah, I would just say it's, it's clear that Arthur just doesn't know how to express love. Um, but, yeah, so I would have Arthur uh, discover Merlin has magic pretty early on. Um, Maybe the end of the first season might be a good time. Uh, and, Cliffhanger. Yeah, and Arthur, being kind of the reformer that he is, he's seen the excesses of the, you know, the genocide. He's, Actual genocide. Yeah. Like, he killed hundreds of people. In one case, they described him burning an entire village down and the children screaming. Right. And it's cool, Luther. What like, else? Arthur, he's, he's like, you know, maybe we should banish them. Maybe we should... You know, be suspicious of them, but like they're we shouldn't kill them all. They're not all bad, uh, and so he sees Merlin and he discovers Merlin has magic, and immediately a couple of things happen. One, his interest is just like is um, it really spikes. He's like, oh, I've got this, I've Ooh. got a magic guy on my side. Um, what can I do with this? Because he's really ambitious. He uh, has big plans for the kingdom. He and- wants to be a good king. Right, and he's like, okay, Merlin's useful. I know Merlin really well. Um, he wasn't, like, the best servant, but this is something that he could He could be had. a good ally. Right, he'd be a good ally. Um, his, I think also that uh, there's got to be some uh, suspicion or um, at least... They're going to have to work out the boundaries. So Arthur is still going to assume that he's got all the power and he's going to give orders to Merlin and boom, it's magically going to get done instead of just servant work going to get done. There's going to be growing pains in which Merlin says, like, I'm not going to do that or I am going to do this even though you told me not to. That's definitely going to be some tension. I think we should, I think it should kind of grow in that sense of can we trust each other as equals when Arthur is used to being everybody's superior. Right, it really balances the scales or even tilts them in Merlin's favor. Um, before Arthur could um, was is stronger than Merlin, he's uh, he's his position in the kingdom is much more secure than Merlin's. Uh, he could have Merlin killed at any moment. When he realizes Merlin has magic, and not only that, it's very powerful magic. Uh, like I would have it be something to where it's like it is. Um, it's really clear that they're dealing with a very, very powerful wizard. Like I wouldn't have it be like Merlin uh, starts a fire and Arthur catches him like starting a fire with magic. No, it's got to be a climax scene in which. Right. Merlin demolishes a a giant like villain creature. Yeah, and you know in all those uh, the stories with magic where it's like at first the person they realize they have magic because when they get angry or scared or something, power surge. Yeah, stuff happens, and I would have it be some sort of like power surge like that where Merlin is like scared or angry and just like not in control. Yeah. yeah. So you would have, there's got to be this, like, now the sense, like, oh, Merlin is dangerous. He's, 
he could kill me. Like, I could come at him with a sword, and he could kill me. Um, I don't think he will, because he seems like a good guy. Um, but it changes the relationship. And I think that that would be... That kind of tension of Arthur both... Or three things. Arthur likes Merlin. They have a genuine relationship. Uh, there's also... Arthur sees that Merlin is really useful for his future plans. Um, and then there's also the, the tension of Arthur doesn't know what Merlin's agenda is um, or and is also worried that Merlin might, you know, something might happen and he could lose Merlin and suddenly Merlin's his enemy now. Well, uh, that would just be an undercurrent of tension that I think would be interesting to pull out. The other thing is that as soon as they're set up as equals, it allows them to test their convictions against each other. In the show as it currently stands, there are several episodes in which Merlin will push back against Arthur, um, maybe about the issue of taxes, maybe about the issue of, like, you know, this person's not a dangerous magic user. They're creating healing spells. And we never really see Arthur pause and consider Merlin's point of view for very long because the power imbalance is so strong. But if they both are designated as equals, then Merlin has to calibrate and say, when Arthur points out, I have to do what's right for the whole kingdom, not just the magic users. Merlin has to take that into consideration. And vice versa, when Arthur lays out this grand scheme and Merlin points out, like, you can't do that like that's someone's farm or that's someone's you know if he goes all emperor's the new groove i'm gonna build right here it's the most beautiful place the hills just sing you know merlin's gonna be there be like that's someone's house you can't just build on someone's house right and arthur you know as prince and you know with merlin i think still having a sense of his role in the kingdom and still um seeing himself as an underling Arthur knows, like, I can do things even if Merlin doesn't assent, but I can't, like, cross Merlin. I can't betray him or do something so horrible that Merlin decides, like, I'm out. Because uh, that would be bad for me. That would be bad for the kingdom. Like, Not just for his relationship, but also just at, like, a pragmatic level. Right. You have to keep Britain and America need to stay friends. Right. I think, okay, so if we're going to wrap up. So we want to make Gwyn an actual person. So give her a little bit more social currency, give her a little bit more bite, but keep her heart pretty much just full of love because that's what drives her and that's also what pulls all of them together. She takes care of everybody. They all want to take care of her. It's a great, beautiful thing. Two, Morgana needs to get her life together. And by get her life together, we mean she should start being a revolutionary with Arthur and kind of really bind in this team unity And then explode into a reactionary. We would love to see her running a opposition propaganda. Where she is bringing up ideas about why should Arthur be king. And really forcing Arthur to assess himself as a ruler. And then also to assess his own ideals and the problems of the kingdom. Right. And like I think there should also be room in her for conflict within herself like the oh I've been really wrong but like deep in my heart I still love Guinevere and don't want to see her hurt or you know like man Arthur's got to go but like it's going to be sad at least a little when I slit his throat um, yeah I'll just like, you know, take show, a moment just, it goes from like she's a 
a ride um, or die friend. Yeah, great character. Then there's a little bit of conflict, and then suddenly it's just total hatred, like single minded antagonism. They do a nice play with her being tormented with that dragon. That, again, not yeah. touched on enough, but if yeah. that would have been laid out, this kind of idea of her being isolated and tortured for a period of time, um, which, again, not a huge fan of torture being a part of, like, a woman's development, but the idea that she has been isolated and feels abandoned and processes through that would be way more interesting than her just flipping a switch and being like, BT dubs, I hate you now. No, really, I'm not joking. All Gina Linetta e. Yeah, they they do they do like the Breaking Bad thing with her, where they start where you're like, she's she's good, I like her. And by the end, you're like, I hate her, like she's bad. Um, and they, I really think, like Breaking Bad was able to pull it off because they did it over five seasons, and it was this very like tight, controlled show. Um, with Morgana, I think it's usually more interesting where you when a character goes from good to bad to where you still see some of that goodness some of those things that made you like them in the first place present in the character and with Morgana I think they just didn't do that (laughs) they just left her hanging I mean she just wildly swung in like Tarzan on a vine and you just hear her screaming and then you hear her disappear back into the trees and then she swings back still screaming and disappears in the trees. But it's okay, guys. She has really great hair. And I think that's also why it's important to really build up Guinevere's character, um, build up Arthur's character a little more, and kind of make make it make more sense. Why does she have all this hatred for Guinevere, for Arthur? Um, I, yeah, they really could. They messed up a little bit, I think. They could have powered their villain with love turned to hate, which is much more poignant than the idea of, I want that, I can't get it, so now I'm going to burn everything down. Mm, yeah, we have a toddler, we're not scared of you. Do you think, do you think they should have had a uh, last second uh, redemption for Morgana? No, but I think that maybe... Made her Merlin Snape. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> Ew. I think that what she maybe should have done is like overextended her magic... In, like, a big showdown. And so, essentially, how I would have finished it is that Merlin throws up, kind of Harry Potter style, throws up a shield charm. And that she, in her rage, like, overextends her magic, whiplashes, kills her. But that, you know, maybe at the last moment she could say something like, at least I died at home. Like, Camelot will always be home to me or something like, something like that. Yeah. Off the cuff. And so you have a moment, not of redemption, but at least of sympathy. That she yeah. always wanted to be at home at Camelot. She always felt like she wasn't because she wasn't... She didn't. She never had a named place in Camelot. The King's Ward, she threw that around. But it didn't have the same stick as, like, heir to the throne. Yeah. There was always an element of, like, at some point she's going to be married off and, like, be someone else's. Yeah, and her, her desire for the throne doesn't ever come across as, like... I want to make the kingdom better. Like, it's more like... It's like a furniture hunt. She's like, I really want that chair. Right. (laughs) I want the throne because it's the throne. Yeah. All right. So, give us your hottest Twitter take on Merlin. Um, So, the magic should have been cooler. Um, They do a lot of uh, pushing each other 
uh, in the, through the air. Do a lot of like lighting fires and low put, key lame stuff. Putting fires out. And I understand the budgetary constraints the BBC operates under. You know, we've all seen Doctor Who. We've all seen. (laughs) (laughs) God Uh, bless Doctor Who. You know, I watched Blackadder, their World War Two, and they're literally five act or World War One season. They're literally like five actors in the entire season. (laughs) So, and it's supposed to be an army, you know. But yeah, I would have had more. I think magic is most interesting when it's tied to nature. Um, I think one which of, would have built in the old religion yeah one of my favorites um, one of my favorite kind of themes in books and in movies is this idea of nature as something that is uncontrollable that is old it is older than we are it will be here after we're gone um, and it's something that we don't understand that we have tried to control it we have tried to build on top of it we have tried to subdue it but we can't uh, and I think tying the magic to nature would be a lot cooler. I don't. I have some specific suggestions for like uh, cool magic tricks they could do, but I'm gonna just leave it at that and let you guys imagine uh, what kind of magic would be cool. Um, but yeah, we were able to redo Merlin to its fullest potential. So if we had, if we were let back in the writing room from this Friday night, what we would redo. Give Guinevere a little bit of spark and a little bit of spine. We would make Morgana and Arthur social reformers. Have Morgana spin out of control and deeply wrestle with the idea of betraying her former loved ones. We'd have Arthur and Merlin actually work together and have to figure out how to go from a prince service relationship to like a buddy cop style. of Like, I don't know what you're going to do, but I've got your back. And... Honestly, y'all, the magic needs a redo. I get it. CGI, boom, make it happen. Lightning strikes. I want some love potions. I want some cool, like, forced rainfall. All sorts of good stuff. And let's get rid of Uther because, let's be honest, he's the worst. Yeah, Uther's got to go. He's he's bad. Um, they they're all in the court with him. They see it. They see behind the scenes. He's getting senile. He's he's just getting worse. Run by paranoia and a bad case of gout. Yeah, he's, he's bad. But Merlin isn't, so give it a check out, even if you can't, uh, even if we can't utilize all of our amazing skills and rewriting abilities, because we loved it. We think you would too. Give it a shot. All right.